Bonga nasi ni podcast iliyonakiliwa kutoka Twitter Space ya Horizon TV Mubashara na kusambazwa kama podcast kupitia anka.fm/horizontv Kenya. Ungana nasi tukichambua masala mbalimbali katika jamii. Assalamualaikum uh, to uh, everyone. Um, I believe uh, Shakombo is having uh, some technical issues, so he will join us uh, later as he resolves those technical issues. But uh, uh, welcome to our weekly podcast titled Bonganasi, the Thursday special edition going through uh, complementing our new business show, uh, Show Me the Market, which airs every Tuesdays at 7.30. And it's a show that showcases different entrepreneurs and businesses uh, across different industries and showcases the positive stories, the journeys, and uh, the whole aim is to inspire a community of uh, businesses uh, and entrepreneurs helping out each other. Uh, so today in our panel, we have Sumai Hassan, who is the uh, CEO of uh, Takafu, and Abdi Fattah, who is an HR practitioner. He is the HR assistant at Sarakeen uh, Media. So I'll start with uh, allowing them to introduce themselves and telling us about their journeys. Uh, so Sumai, we can start with uh, with you, if you just uh, introduce yourself to the audience. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Rabbi shrah li sadri wa yassir li amri wa hlul uqdatan min lisani yafqahu qawil. Thank you very much, Sud. My name is Sumaya Hassan. I am the CEO of Takaful Insurance of Africa. Takaful is the... Um, is is a Sharia compliant um, insurance company, the only um, Sharia compliant um, uh, insurance company in Kenya, operating both in Kenya and um, within the greater um, East Africa region. Let me say, um, or at least a good part of it, under under different arrangements. We offer a wide range of products, everything from the usual motto and um, and fire and uh, you know fidelity to construction and marine and medical and pensions so this is what um, we do as the careful i don't know if you want me to say anything further than that so um no but maybe a little bit more about your your journey into management and uh i know you previously also had uh, a small business and you can just talk briefly about that as well okay so my background um is um in law i'm I'm a lawyer by profession, and I started out practicing law. And um, along the way, I joined, I moved from working in a law firm to working uh, within a corporate setting, um, heading the legal department, where I was very much involved not only in the legal aspects, but also um, in, the, in the details of the commercial discussions and commercial negotiations. Um, I found that I enjoyed that bit very much, the, the commercial discussion, the negotiation. I got quite a bit um, involved in that. Um, eventually, I then moved into handling um, the strategy and um, and uh, the corporate uh, aspects as well, which was both um, communications, um, you know, the the PR part of, um, of of it. So communications, PR, and strategy uh, in addition to legal, and eventually then got an opportunity to rise up the ladder into uh, um, senior management where I was appointed as a deputy uh, MD initially and eventually, alhamdulillah, by God's grace, I was appointed as the CEO. So along the way, having been involved in a number of different um, areas of the company, 
um, both, you know, from handling very detailed contractual engagements and the legal to also dealing a lot with both internal and external audiences through uh, handling both strategy and also the communications part of it. It gave me a very uh, wide understanding of the different aspects of an organization, which became very useful for me when I became a managing director because, uh, you know, you have to bring everything together uh, when you are the one, um, you know, in that leadership role and being able to understand a fair bit of the detail across uh, the different areas that I've been handling was very useful for me. Um, after that, um, when I eventually did exit from that company, I formed my own uh, businesses. Um, I've been involved in a number of small businesses, one of which was um, at that time, there was a very big, um, and this was many years before, not not after I left this job, but many years before, uh, before this, where I felt as a Muslim woman in the professional field, I could not find appropriate clothing uh, that was both modest that um, and and smart for a professional environment, you know. And what I did is therefore during my travels because I did, um, you know, I was traveling up and down uh, for whatever I was handling at the time. I would buy you know things for myself. People started responding to that and say, "Oh, you know, we want what you're wearing. Where can I get what you're wearing?" So eventually, through trying to satisfy the gap that I felt in the market for myself, I didn't start out wanting to to run a business. I started out just looking to satisfy my own requirement for appropriate Islamic wear for a professional environment. And the, all this feedback that I was getting led me to open a shop uh, where you know we were now offering all the these um, items for really largely Thai professional uh, Muslim women, but then we expanded into other areas of Islamic wear. So I've been involved in in businesses from different aspects. And again, when you are running a startup, um, you're everything. You are the, the salesperson and the HR manager and operations and finance and everything. And you know, you don't have the resources or the finances to hire a big team of people. You need to really understand the nitty gritty of your business. And then also needing to let go of it when it outgrows you as the founder and hand it over to the next lot of, um, of people who can then take the business uh, to the next level. So I've done that. I have done, you know, the corporate world. I've done this other startup entrepreneurial world. And um, it, it, it's interesting to to have, you know, both perspectives. Some things, of course, will be different because of the scale involved. But some things, you know, will will be the same. At the end of the day, people are people. You just may have more of them in the corporate world, but you're still dealing with people even when you're running a smallness. Abdifata, uh, maybe you could give us a... An intro about yourself and uh, your journey into uh, HR. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. My name is Mfutah Mohammed, and I, am, I work in the HR department at Saracen Media. So I've been doing this for almost 10 years. I started off in recruitment solely. So I started off working in a recruitment agency where we were, was just green, like straight from uni, where I went into doing a recruitment for a company called Amada Human Capital. So there is where now I learned a lot about because we interact with different corporates. So we learned how to get them the right people. And uh, from there, I, I left and joined uh, another agency. Recruitment, and I came this other side now for HR. Where I've been working there for five years, doing more more 
recruitment. A lot of recruitment, especially where we are at now, Saras and Media, it's an advertising agency. So there's a lot of, it's growing, it's a growing industry, especially right now with everything that's going on, like with clients wanting more marketing. So that's my journey. Good. So Abdifata, I'm going to put you on the uh, on the spot here because you're the HR practitioner. Now, wow. you know, the, the, the world seems to be moving from HR as uh, as just a, you know, a recruiting function and the administrative aspect of managing human resources to more of people operations and looking at how, you know, uh, your your resources at work can be more more productive and trying to kind of form cultures within organizations to get people to because people spend a lot of time in organizations you know the, and some people spend more time at work than 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 at home so you know what what are your thoughts about this and why should Kenyan businesses also be thinking about uh, the changes that are happening? Thanks, thanks. So. It's, like you said, we spend a lot of time at work, more than, sometimes we have more than with our family. So, we, like, companies have to ensure when they are, when the employees are there, first of all, it's people first. I know guys scoff at that when you hear organizations say it's people first, but it's really important. We have to move away from the traditional HR rights, mostly, just be mostly, we focus on compliance and reducing liability. That was the main thing, even before recruitment, when you have guys in your organization, you have to focus on, okay, how are you going to ensure we are compliant with everything? So if it's labor laws, if there's so many laws, there's OSHA, there's WIBA, there's what else? There's so many laws involved. So that was the first priority, but we have to move away from that. And that's what we're trying, especially right now where I'm at. We focus more on maximizing the values of the employees. So trying to grow them, trying to see how we can... We're not looking at them as a cost center because they're the ones who create value for the clients at the end of the day, especially in our, in our industry. They're the ones who come up with the ideas. So we try as much as possible to ensure they, they grow. Another thing with HR is we're moving away from now the idea of just being informed. Like HR is told, okay, do this. And we are getting more involved with the strategy, the mission, the vision of the organization. We're part of that instead of now just being told, this is what we're doing. And we're moving like that. So we get involved in even the decision making of where the organization is going. For example, where we are right now, we're trying to transition just from being a traditional agency to being more uh, all-rounded agency. So we are consulted and told, okay, how do we go about this? What are the skills that are needed? How are we going to grow this? employees who come in what's the future looking like so it's like 10 years away it's not more we are hiring now and that's it we look at 10 years how are we going to grow the skills that we need and how are we going to develop these parts for these people so it's it's a lot of it's, it's you have to look at it in a holistic way here it is just okay now we're hiring somebody you send them to do the work we have to hire somebody to grow them this is their path how they're going to grow in the organization and develop within the organization where they're going to head up so i think so that's that's the gist of it now on the you know you've you've worked in small businesses uh you've set up small businesses uh what is the role of people especially from from uh from the view of a small business how important are people uh for 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 small businesses i mean i think they're important for all businesses but particularly for small businesses where the the roles seems to uh there you know every person has multiple roles how important is it for um entrepreneurs and small business owners to really think through the type of people that they bring into their businesses um it's very important for small business owners to think quite critically about the type of people they bring in, particularly because they can't afford to have all the different um, skill sets that they need. So, you know, hire this person and that person and, you know, have like a person per role that they need filled. For many of them, they don't have that luxury by way of financing to be able to do that. So one needs to be quite careful about um, type of people that uh, that they bring. Um, what I would say is one of the most 
important skills because at the same time, because they are small businesses and they are startups, they may not really have the type of funding that is needed to bring in the level of experience uh, that they may then want to do the type of things that need to be done. So from my own experience, what I have seen, one of the most fundamental qualities that one needs when you are hiring people um, whether you're in a big or small, but you know, right now we are focusing on the small businesses, is the attitude of the employee. That is really very critical. If you have an employee with the right type of mindset, the right type of attitude, uh, by this I mean somebody who's willing to be very proactive, to take initiative, to try different things, to take on additional responsibilities. Now, what they don't have by way of experience, they can more than make up by way of a positive attitude because they're willing to learn. They're willing to try out new things. They're willing to be trained. And all these may sound um, obvious, but they really uh, don't come um, as a package with everyone. So they are people that are very difficult to train. They are very unwilling to try out new things. They are unwilling to, to take responsibility. In fact, there are some people, if you try and put them in a leadership position, you know, they just shut down. Um, or they, they are not able to be creative. And these are some of the things that I would urge small businesses to really look at, particularly because they can't afford to hire too many people. And maybe somebody would ask, but how do I tell whether somebody will be creative or not? How can I tell if somebody will be proactive? Now, this is where the type of questions you ask during the interview are really very important. Beyond the paperwork and, you know, you've reviewed yeah, academic certificates and the CV and what have you, what you want is also to delve a little bit deeper into how this part thinks. What do they do in their spare time? It's really important to understand what else do you do? Um, if, if working wasn't about money for you, that you're working because you need a salary, and instead of which you, you could do whatever you wanted because you like, you like whatever it is you're doing, what would that be? Yes, where do you see yourself in another this, that, or the other period? And so when you try and prod through some of these open-ended uh, questions, the type of answers that somebody gives you starts giving you an inkling into the, the creativity, into, into what, how this person thinks, into their, their proactiveness. You know, what else, what else do they do with their free time? And, you know, you'll hear all sorts of things. Somebody tutors the neighborhood kids of a Sunday afternoon. Somebody else plants trees in this and that place. Somebody else is out hiking or writing poetry. Some of these things sound like very minor things, but these are part of the things that you as a small business owner or an employer or a recruiter are also listening out for because it gives you more than what the academic certificate is telling you. It's really helping you to understand a little bit more in depth about this person and what you may expect when they come in by way of extra, you know, creativity or initiative that they may bring on board. Yeah, thanks for this, uh, uh, Sumaya. Uh, Muhammad, I see you've uh, joined. Uh, can you, is your mic working or you're still facing difficulties? Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. I hope you can hear me loud and clear. Yes, we can hear loud and clear. Uh, fantastic. So I think uh, you're supposed to be co-hosting, so I'll, I'll, I'll hand over to you. But maybe you can give us, um, uh, I think everyone knows you uh, here. You're quite famous out on the, on the street uh, of uh, uh, of Twitter and Horizon TV. But, you know, you're also a, a small business owner, uh, apart from, you know, being uh, a journalist. Uh, and you've got a small uh, barber shop. Maybe you could tell us about your journey there and how getting the right barber uh, was very important uh, and how do you how you dealt with it from, from a human resource point of view. Well, uh, on my part, uh, it's not been an easy journey per se, but 
you need to be able to manage expectations because uh, this guy you choose to work with them and uh, probably the person feels like uh, they're more talented than any other person so they need less supervision uh, and you work around that kind of format and, and maybe you think it works but later on you come to discover that uh, behind this skill set that this person has there's need for this person to have discipline. So with time now, you need to panel a bit around the discipline part because talent without discipline is not a very good combination for a successful business. So uh, I've been uh, learning through the business. It's not been easy as such because now you have to talk to someone who's a grown-up, who's mature enough to understand things, but they still wants to be laid back. So it's a challenge. So probably I would, I would also like to know from the panel in regards to how to manage expectation probably in such kind of an environment where you have a small uh, business or an SME for that matter. Maybe I can take, I can take this. I think you just you have to set the expectations from day one, what you, you want from the person. So that's, that would be very key. Like uh, when the person comes, these are the things you're supposed to do before even they begin. Because for them, they're from there. Otherwise, it will be difficult if they don't know what, where they're heading to, like what's the purpose of what they're doing and where they're heading to. I think that will be key. Yeah, maybe, Sumaya, you can add in now, you know, from, a, from a point of view of management, how important it is. Okay, so you manage expectations when an employee comes in right at the beginning. But how important are performance reviews? And, you know, throughout your career, how have you seen performance reviews uh, evolve into what they are today? So, yes, the, the whole area around... Uh performance uh, management uh, and management of expectations, including through performance management, is is an extremely critical area um, which greatly uh, affects employee motivation, employee satisfaction, uh, probably employee retention as well, because you want a process that is seen to be fair, that is seen to be equitable, that is um, applicable um, across the organization and not uh, you know, some people have a different process where there appears to be, you know, subjectivity, whether positively or negatively, and others have their, a different process. So when an employee understands very clearly the basis on which performance will be evaluated, when you come in, you have a job description that is very clear and it is explained to you, these are the expectations, this is what you're required to do. And then you have your performance contract where how do we track what it is that you're doing and, and how will we know, how will you know when you're performing well? So those measures are indicated and clearly, you know, agreed, discussed and agreed at the beginning. They are signed off. So by the time the employee is starting off, they're very clear, what am I expected to do? How will I know when it is done? And um, what what I have found um, as um, performance management has evolved uh, over the years is rather than just have what the what the indicator is. You know, this is the target, this is the indicator. And then at the point of evaluation, um, you know, you get involved in a lot of conversation around, um, is this good? Is this average? Is this... Now you find, as you sign off on your on your targets and your indicators, it is already um, clearly laid out. If this is to be regarded as excellent, you need to have performed at this level. So if your target was to achieve sales of, um, let's say, 100,000, um, and you achieved 101,000, is that excellent? So to avoid that type of um, back and forth, 
you clearly agree at the beginning. For you to be at excellent, it is, for example, different organizations will do it differently, but you could say 130, past 130,000 and above is excellent. Between, you know, 129 and 100 is, you know, whatever it is, uh, very good. Between this and that, and because a lot of the rewards will be linked to whether you are excellent or, you know, whatever it is, then it is important that this is clear from the beginning to avoid a lot of back and forth discussions uh, during um, during performance. And also, um, on the other side of the scale, if somebody is not performing well, at what level do, do you in the organization um, start raising alarm bells and concerns about somebody's performance? If somebody comes in and they are now performing 60%, according to them, they are performing um, you know, good. According to you and the policies you have in the organization, that could be fair on its way to perhaps uh, below average. And so to avoid that uh, and make sure that it's very clear to everybody, what I have seen evolving with performance management is all that is pre-agreed. This is poor, this is fair, this is good, this is average. And then one also has the, the expectation of the reward um, very clear. A lot of organizations will not reward for achieving your target. So if you're supposed to deliver 100,000 shillings and you deliver 100,000 shillings, many organizations will not give you an incentive because that is why you earn a salary for doing your job. 100,000 is doing your job. If you want to have a bonus, you need to go over and above. And therefore, organizations will say we pay bonuses for performance above 100%. And this is part of managing expectations to avoid somebody coming in at the end and saying, oh, but I achieved 90% and I didn't get a bonus. Well, 90% is uh, probably you needing to justify why you should be given a full salary you haven't achieved. This is the view organizations will take. Others will take a different view, but this is part of managing of, of, um, of performance. The other thing I have also seen happening over a period is evolution in the rewards. Um, once upon a time, it may have been a fixed reward. You know, everybody gets this a certain salary or percentage of this or the other. But increasingly now we see organizations offering an array of awards or a bouquet of awards for employees to choose what resonates most with them. So the cost to the company may be the same. Somebody else may appreciate extra leave days more. Uh, maybe they have a family a situation that um, that would appreciate, that would be more appreciative of them taking more leave days, whereas somebody else would prefer um, a holiday, for instance, or, or whatever it is. But we, we do see uh, uh, attempts by organizations to be much more responsive um, to the, the desires of different employees by offering more options than perhaps may have been the case a few years ago. Thank you so much uh, for your pointers. Uh, probably I would just like to ask Abdifatab, could you kindly uh, give us a brief about the rights of employees and employers so that uh, the general audience can be able to understand and know this right? And perhaps for those who have questions that uh, they feel that it's important for us to ask, please reach out to the BM of Horizon TV. We'll probably sample one or two questions that will come along. Thank you. Thanks. I just highlight three or four. First of all, is the one for the right to lawful termination. I think that's key. I think Sue had mentioned how it's like 
organizations and small businesses might find it easy just to let go of an employee without having like a due process done. That's the first thing. According to the labor laws, employers have the right to terminate the employees based on solid grounds. So that's the first right and that's very key. And you've seen cases where guys who are, who are fired and who go to court and they win large sums of money. The second thing would be the right to reasonable working conditions. I think that's straightforward. Having a healthy work condition, provisions of water, medicine at work, you ensure the workplace is safe without any health risks. The other, the other right would be entitlements to leave this and maternity leave. We are entitled according to the Employment Act, annual leave days of 21 days. There's some employees who give it just 21 days and the others who, the minimum is 21 days, the others who give 30, up to 30 days. But the minimum should be 21 days and three months of fully paid maternity leave. The employer is not allowed to dismiss a female employee from work leave pregnancy. It goes back to the right, the right to lawful termination that is not allowed. And the last one I'd like to highlight would be due process now when somebody is being terminated. There's a whole process of understanding, like these are the things that are supposed to be done. Was there, is it an issue of performance? Was there, was there a discussion before, and then after discussion, was there any mitigation done before somebody is terminated? You can't just terminate somebody outside. So I think that those are the, like the key things that you can focus on and discuss. Okay, uh, before that, as we're still on this, on the, on the rights, you know, there are also different types of uh, employee contracts. Uh, you know, you could be a, a a short-term contractor, you could be a full-time. Now, for small businesses out there, uh, you know, the, the, the common culture and, you know, the employment laws are, are changing in the country and they're becoming more rigid for the for very good reasons. But, you know, the, the, the prevalent culture is, you know, people are dispensable. You can just bring in people when you want and... Uh, and dismiss them uh, as as uh, as you wish. Now, what what would your advice be to small businesses uh, when they are looking to hire people, and at what at what point should they consider short term contracts, and at what at what point should they consider full term contracts? So, now, like for short term contracts, would be as what I've seen is uh, like if it's seasonal. I've seen people hiring guys on a seasonal basis. So, like say, if we need uh, somebody for projects. For example, in our case, we give them a short-term contract. If it's a project was for three months, we give them a contract for three months. But if it's a long-term, say we have uh, a client who's given us contract for four years, we give somebody one year renewable based on our performance. We avoid giving because of the cost. Like now, if say you don't have, I'm speaking from the point of view of like what I see in our industry. So now, if you get a client, you give them one year fixed-term contract. You avoid permanent contract because now, if you don't have a say a, a client after four years, say after three years or four years. Then you'll be left with somebody who's not working, who needs to be paid. And if there's the land, we'll have to make the rules redundant. So what we try is we make him best, give them one year contract, which are renewable. So they don't have a... No, that's uh, absolutely clear. So uh, next question is for you, uh, Sumaya. Um, how would you advise small businesses uh, on how they can uh, leverage on human resources to build resilience and sustainability uh, for their businesses? Um, one of the things that, um, that we have all learned from the pandemic, um, in addition to the many challenges that uh, businesses have gone through, um, some of the things that have come out very strongly by way of building resilience um, is looking at having alternatives to how you can serve your customers. So businesses that could only serve a customer physically were then very challenged in an environment where people were social distancing and being, you know, uh, staying at home and, and all that. And even very small businesses, I think the data that we saw across uh, the 
well, let, let me let me talk about Kenya across different industries in Kenya and particularly looking at the very small scale uh, businesses is that those who did manage to transition to an online platform, whatever that online form may have been, uh, actually did quite well despite the pandemic. So this is one of those things that small businesses do need to look at. Um, how digitally ready are they? It may look like it is an expense. There are certain things even um, assuming the pandemic were all to end by end of this year, would not go back to how they were before. A lot of people uh, have taken to online shopping and um, they enjoy the experience of being able to browse and choose things from the comfort of their home and have them delivered. And this is a skill that I would urge small businesses to really look at. And it doesn't have to be a very complicated e-commerce platform. There are a lot of small businesses selling on WhatsApp, for instance, on Instagram. You know, whatever your platform of choice, but you do need to get your your um, skills as far as um, selling in an online environment because this is where the customers are. Um, the other thing that businesses have learned um, during this period, once upon a time, uh, you know, we had companies talking about specialization, you know, as a very big thing and you wanted employees that were ultra specialists. But in an environment where people had to cut back so much on um, costs, and some people, unfortunately, had to lay off employees because they simply could not afford to carry um, the, the, the salaries or, you, or, you know, they had to have part-time working arrangements. One of the things the companies um, uh, that was seen as a trend is companies looking for employees who could multitask in different areas. You know, so a move almost away from over-specialization to multitasking slash generalization. So this is one thing that small businesses may want to look at, uh, the ability for an employee to be able to handle more than one area, even if their area of focus is one, but at least they can understand one or two other areas, uh, which is also very important for succession planning because maybe the person handling that area uh, is unwell, is unable to come to work. You don't need to have your business grinding to a halt because you don't have too many people and only one person understands how to do this or how to do the other. Um, the other thing I would say <clears throat> uh, by way of, you know, building resilience in small businesses, one of the things with is a lot of small businesses may not have invested the time. Let me start with time, even before I talk about money, but may not have invested the time in putting in place policies and procedures. And they may find that, oh, but you know, we're just a small business. We, everything is in our minds. You know, everything is in my head. I don't need to put these policies. When we grow and become a big corporate, we can do that. But you find that if you do invest the time to come up and develop your policies. And there are a lot of examples out there on the net that you could read and then adapt to your own environment. It really helps to build resilience and sustainability in your business because it's not dependent on a particular individual being there. So if that person is there, is not there, then, you know, the level of service is different. And you hear this, or, you know, you go to places and somebody says, oh, you know, so-and-so is not here today. That's why yeah, the service level is different. But if you had a standard operating procedure, this is how we do this, step one, step two, step three, step four, then it doesn't matter who is or who is not there, the output you have is, is the same. So this is one of the things that I would urge small businesses, do spend the time, invest in having certain key policies, certain key um, operating procedures 
that really will help to create a consistent level of service offering in your organization that is not dependent on the presence of a particular person. Um, thank you so much, uh, Samaya, for your sentiments. Uh, last uh, Saturday, we had a challenge with uh, spaces, but today, mashallah, we're doing good. I guess uh, the spaces love English. But anyway, uh, let me ask you, Abdi Fattah, on ethics and societal impact. How does uh, positive employment practices affect the society at large? And uh, probably from Sumaya, I would also like to know the aspects, uh, the Islamic aspect of equity and fairness. But first, let's hear it out from Abdi Fattah. Sorry, I didn't get that. Um, I-, I wanted to know on the ethics and societal impact. How does positive employment practices affect society? Jeremy, because you're hiring Muhammad, that's a hard question. I'm trying to think. Uh... Uh, is that a hard one? That's, that's why the okay, Maybe if, if we rephrase yeah. it for you, Abdi Fatah. Okay, so yeah. why, why is it important for employers of all types, you know, uh, both big and small, to have positive employment policies? Uh, how does it help society at large if, if workers' rights uh, are taken into consideration and eventually employers' rights are also taken into consideration? How does that contribute to a better society? You start off just by hiring people properly. You just start from there. Hiring people properly, paying people properly, taking care of their welfare, not looking at the staff internally who work as a cost center. Uh, you, you see some awards about the disposable, and that was the word you used. Not seeing employees as disposable, because at the end of the day, if you take care of your employees, you take care of your clients, society at large benefits. You're, you're growing for now. For instance, you have if you have a proper recruitment system, you bring in people from university, straight from university, you grow them within the you're offering them employment. You start them off as interns, you train them, you take them through the you just show them this is the path within the organization you can grow. You're you're relieving the pressure, I can say, the market the labor market. I think that's I would, I would look at this. Um, let's also have uh, Sumeya on the panel to discuss about uh, um, the fairness and equity in, in the, on the workplace, because this is like uh, sort of a contentious issue when when you sort of are a small player in the in the job market and you feel like the other person who's kind of doing maybe the same job as you is earning more and there's that disparity. So could we talk about uh, uh, fairness and also equity in the workspace? Okay. Um, one of the ways that helps to bring about um, that sense of fairness and equity is when there is very clear communication on what the different people in your organization do. And this requires, even if you are a small business, that you clearly document uh, by way, for instance, of a job description, what the different positions are supposed to do. Because in the absence of that, um, in your mind, it may be very clear what each person is doing. But between themselves, they may look, they may imagine that they are doing similar things or one may look at the other and say, oh, but this one is doing the same thing as me. Not understanding perhaps that perhaps whatever they are doing is at a much deeper level. Perhaps they have other additional things that they are required to do. And for that reason, the compensation is then aligned to that. Um, the other thing as well, I remember um, somebody um, raising a, a comment. It's, it's anecdotal, but, you know, it may be useful here. And, and this person was um, was complaining about the amount of money they were paying the service provider. And, and they told this person that, uh, you know, I, you're charging me so much money and yet you've finished whatever job that, um, that I needed done and it took you only 15 minutes. Why have you charged me so much money? And the the service provider's answer was that it took me 15 years to learn how to do this in 15 minutes. And that's what you're paying for. So remember 
the experience that somebody brings into a position, the learning, the education that has gone behind it, the knowledge base, the actual implementation of how to execute, somebody else may not have the same. So it may look like um, on the face of it, you're doing a similar type of thing, or maybe you're looking out how quickly somebody has managed to do something. But one of the reasons why they may be managing to do it that quickly is just because of how many years of experience they've had doing this thing. And and now this is part of what the compensation um, is also recognizing, the number of years of experience and skills that this person has. And so going back to the fact that if you do document very clearly what each position does, um, you know, what are the reporting structures? If, if it's an organization, um, you have two or three people, the reporting structures are very clear who reports to who, what are the different levels of responsibilities and accountabilities, then that does help to create a certain sense of, uh, of fairness and, and equity where somebody understands, okay, so-and-so does, um, you know, this and that and the other. And this is why probably they'll earn more than I who is doing ABCD. Or maybe they have, you know, different areas of direct reports. Uh, maybe they have, um, they, they have responsibilities including for outside stakeholder engagement. Maybe I don't, and therefore that comes in. And one of the things that small businesses and businesses generally, but small businesses, um, you know, need to remember is many years ago, the issue of salary was regarded as a highly confidential thing. Employees would not share salary details. I mean, spouses were not sharing salary details. And so years ago, you know, back, this was a top secret how much anybody was earning. The, the employee in today's workplace, the people that we are bringing in, you know, the Z, Generation Zs and Millennials and what have you, these are people who share what they earn very freely and, and very, very openly. So an employer should be very clear that this has stopped being a secret. Among the employees themselves, of course, you as an employer have a responsibility to preserve, you know, privacy and there's data protection and there's all that type of thing. But the employees among themselves will probably have shared. So do bear that in mind as you look at what type of policies and structures you need to have in place, appreciating that they probably will have shared all the details among themselves. So the more structured you are, the easier it is for them, even as they share, to see, aha, these are the areas of similarity, these are the areas of difference, and this is why, you know, perhaps I am earning this level and the other one is earning the other level. I do want to emphasize, however, because this is a problem that is there across the globe. In developed uh, countries, this issue is still there where you find a bias on a gender bias as far as salary is concerned, where a man and a woman doing the identical job um, are not paid the same. The woman in most of the cases will be paid less purely because she is a woman. Now that goes against, you know, uh, the fairness and justice uh, and equity principle. And when that comes out, it creates a lot of uh, demotivation and a lot of negative energy in an organization. And, and different companies have come up with different strategies to manage against that. But this is one thing that, um, that businesses do need to be careful um, about to ensure that they are not uh, doing that. Because if the jobs really are doing the same thing, then the issue of looking at the gender should not arise. The issue should be very specific as far as the tasks and the, the deliverables, the responsibilities and accountabilities in the job itself. And, and this is uh, what one really should be looking at um, when they are setting um, salary scale. Um, if I may, just to circle back to what you asked earlier about the whole area of ethics and um and, you know, the, the greater perhaps impact in the greater society of treating your employees ethically. Um, part of that 
in my view, goes back to the culture of an organization. If we define culture as has been defined as how people think, how they respond, and how they behave in a group and as a group, and then you find that there are various things that are in that culture. There are rituals, there are narratives, there are you know, artifacts, and there are also things, and they will, in every organization, be a dominant culture. Now, that dominant culture then influences a lot of what the employees do even beyond. So you'll find there are certain places you'll meet a person and from the way you they behave, even before somebody tells you, you'll say, I think this one, this one behaves as if they work for XYZ company. Why? Because the people in that organization carry themselves in a certain way. They're required to be very proper. But this one is doing the same thing as me. Not understanding perhaps that perhaps whatever whatever they're doing is at a much deeper level. Perhaps they have other additional things that they are required to do. And for that reason, the compensation is then aligned to that. Um, the other thing as well, I remember um, somebody um, raising a, a comment. It's, it's anecdotal, but you know it may be useful here. And and this person was um, was complaining about the amount of money they were paying the service provider, and and they told this person that um, you know I you're charging me so much money, and yet you've finished whatever job that. Um, that I needed done, and it took you only 15 minutes. Why have you charged me so much money? And the, the service provider's answer was that it took me 15 years to learn how to do this in 15 minutes, and that's what you're paying for. So remember the experience that somebody brings into a position, the, the learning, the education that has gone behind it, the knowledge base, the actual implementation of how to execute Somebody else may not have the same. So it may look like um, on the face of it, you're doing a similar type of thing. Or maybe you're looking out how quickly somebody has managed to do something. But one of the reasons why they may be managing to do it that quickly is just because of how many years of experience they've had doing this thing. And and now this is part of what the compensation um is also recognizing the number of years of experience and skills that this person has. And so going back to the fact that if you do document very clearly what each position does, um, you know, what are the reporting structures? If, if it's an organization, um, you have two, three people, the reporting structures are very clear who reports to who, what are the different levels of responsibilities and accountabilities, then that does help to create a certain sense of uh, of fairness and, and equity where somebody understands, okay, so-and-so does, um, you know, this and that and the other. And this is why probably they'll earn more than I who is doing ABCD. Or maybe they have, you know, different areas of direct reports. Uh, maybe they have, um, they, they have responsibilities, including for outside stakeholder engagement. Maybe I don't, and therefore that comes in. And one of the things that small businesses and businesses generally, but small businesses, um, you know, need to remember is many years ago, the issue of salary was regarded as a highly confidential thing. Employees would not share salary details. I mean, spouses were not sharing salary details. And so years ago, you know, back, this was a top secret how much anybody was earning. The, the employee in today's workplace, the people that we are bringing in, you know, the Z, Generation Zs and Millennials and what have you, these are people who share what they earn very freely and very, very openly. So an employer should be very clear that this has stopped being a secret. 
among the employees themselves. Of course, you as an employer have a responsibility to preserve, you know, privacy and there's data protection and there's all that type of thing. But the employees among themselves will probably have shared. So do bear that in mind as you look at what type of policies and structures you need to have in place appreciating that they probably will have shared all the details among themselves. So the more structured you are, the easier it is for them, even as they share, to see, aha, these are the areas of similarity, these are the areas of difference, and this is why, you know, perhaps I am earning this level and the other one is earning the other level. I do want to emphasize, however, because this is a problem that is there across the globe. In developed uh, countries, this issue is still there, where you find a bias on a gender bias as far as salary is concerned, where a man and a woman doing the identical job um, are not paid the same. The woman in most of the cases will be paid less purely because she is a woman. Now that goes against you know, uh, the fairness and justice uh, and equity principle. And when that comes out, it creates a lot of uh, demotivation and a lot of negative energy in an organization. And, and different companies have come up with different strategies to manage against that. But this is one thing that, um, that businesses do need to be careful um, about to ensure that they are not uh, doing that because if the jobs really are doing the same thing, then the issue of looking at the gender should not arise. The issue should be very specific as far as the tasks and the, the deliverables, the responsibilities and accountabilities in the job itself. And, and this is uh, what one really should be looking at um, when they are setting um, salary scale. Um, if I may, just to circle back to what you asked earlier about the whole area of ethics and um and, you know, the, the greater perhaps impact in the greater society of treating your employees ethically. Um, part of that, uh, in my view, goes back to the culture of an organization. If we define culture as has been defined as how people think, how they respond and how they behave in a group and as a group. And then you find that. There are various things that are in that culture. There are rituals, there are narratives, there are, you know, artifacts, and there are also things, and they will, in every organization, be a dominant culture. Now, that dominant culture then influences a lot of what the employees do, even beyond. So you'll find there are certain places you'll meet a person, and from the way you they behave, even before somebody tells you, you'll say, I think this one, this one behaves as if they work for XYZ company. Why? Because the people in that organization carry themselves in a certain way. They're required to be very proper in how they present themselves, in how they speak, in how they dress, and this person behaves like that. So that tells you the dominant culture there. Certain other places you'll hear, this one behaves as if they work for a public organization. Why? Because there is a certain way that public organizations are deemed to behave and this person is displaying those characteristics. So similarly, if your dominant culture in the organization is to be very ethically minded, then that employee carries that in their other engagements outside there because this is the dominant culture in which they operate most of the time. On the other hand, if the dominant culture in your organization is the anti-thesis um, you know, thesis of that, it's the opposite of that, where a lot of unethical practices are happening, you will see that being translated even in the employee's personal life 
and their engagement and communication outside. They will take those, you know, unethical behaviors even outside into the greater society. So it really does have an impact because of the amount of time that people are spending in this environment. That dominant culture affects them. It then goes back and affects their family because they take that back into the home. It affects the children because this is how they see the parent behaving. And then starts from one person, you can see the impact on the society around them. Um, finally, just to give another example, there are some employees who work in companies that are very, very, um, they have a very high level of, of safety consciousness. That is their culture. And you see this in organizations that deal maybe with petroleum or with, you know, products that are deemed to be very flammable. So they are ultra careful about safety. Even in their home environment, they behave like that. You know, somebody is ultra conscious about safety. They don't do this. When they walk down the stairs, you must touch the rail. And we don't do this. You know, we, we don't. We switch off the phone at the petrol station and what have you. That culture of safety consciousness is, is ingrained in them because this is what they have at work. And you see that being passed on to those they interact with both in the home and in their social life. So it really does have an impact on the greater society outside the organization. Okay, thanks for that. Um, just another call-up. This is the last call-out to uh, members of the audience. If they'd like to put in their questions, you can DM at Horizon TV Kenya. You can respond to one of the uh, the, the pinned uh, tweet uh, for the space. And uh, if anyone would like to be given uh, the mic, you could just request uh, request for the mic, and uh, we'll allow you to ask questions to the uh, to the panel. Um, there's a question that has come in, and uh, it's actually more of a comment, but uh, well, it, it, it's a loaded question. Because uh, the, the the comment was that um, uh, so Abdi Fatah mentioned about uh, employees shouldn't be made to to be disposable or dispensable, um, and uh, Sumaya on the other hand, and Abdi Fatah was speaking from an HR practitioner's point of view, and Sumaya from from a from a management point of view is saying that uh, uh, standard operating procedures are, are important, and the comment here is like uh, standard operating procedures eventually make uh, employees uh, dispensable. So, what are your thoughts about this? And I think it's one of those questions where where do we meet in the middle? Okay, shall I go first? Or is that a different topic? Yeah, you can go. You can go ahead. Okay. Um, yes, the, the it's a very good question, and one of the things that. Um, an organization, uh, let me answer that from two aspects. Number one is that for an organization, you want to be very consistent in the level of service that you're offering by way of a minimum. You, you don't want your service offering, whether it is you're purely in a service industry or you're in a, a goods, you know, you're in a product industry, to go below a certain minimum threshold that you have set for yourself that this is our level below which we will not accept and for that you do need to have certain um, standardization of your procedures to ensure that it is not dependent on a specific person being available so you're going to a restaurant the menu is the same you know from yesterday to today but because so and so was there yesterday they are not there today uh, you know whatever is being served is now below that the threshold of acceptability you should not have that as an organization now what the employee is called upon to do, and I, and I want to link that with a lot of the discussions we've been having here, where there's a lot of focus on, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe we'll circle back to that at the end. So on, on this particular issue, what the employee is seeking to do is add above that minimum threshold. So what you're adding there by way of the extra flair, by way of the extra creativity, is building on that. But note that the minimum threshold is now not being achieved because a certain employee is not present. That now goes to the heart of 
sustainability of of the 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 of the organization itself if it is that much dependent on the presence of specific people the 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 the, the additional value that an employee brings the additional flair when they are there the additional um you know culinary skills or or the which they plate or you know decorate that now is the extra that comes out from the extra initiative and proactiveness and creativity but it should not allow an organization should not allow their service offering to go below a minimum standard uh, because of uh, absence of certain people it really will affect sustainability of the organization uh, Adifata, your comment on the same so it's uh... And I agree with Sumaya in the sense that we're supposed to have standard operating procedures in place. So when like the question you guys had asked initially, when somebody, how do you help an employee? The question about the barbershop. You have to set expectations first, there's performance management, there's also training and development you need to include there. So once all that like the structure has been put in place, so whoever comes in will will have to like go through that process. And that's why now once once they're struggling, there's performance management, if they're not performing, is training, even if it's extra training, to maintain a certain standard, a bare minimum. So it's not that, like I was saying, it's not like you're not encouraging some get rid of somebody immediately, but you have to ensure like this, there's a there's a structure in there and they put it place in the organization, whereas people have to follow. So yes, that's 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 my comment. You have to follow the structures, the standard operating procedures that have been put up to be there, but also you have to train the employees and make sure they follow those processes and procedures that have been put in place. Thank you Abdi, for your sentiment. Uh, I'll also like to put in this to Sister Sumeya. Uh, probably can, can, how, how can the larger audience, or rather how has COVID changed uh, the workplace, in particular Kenya, for let's say the small businesses, and what does post-COVID uh, employment look like uh, for, for the general uh, community? Code um, for the small businesses has affected it in a number of ways. Um, some of those have had very far-reaching effects on organizations, some of which unfortunately have not been able to survive in that environment because the customers are equally affected by the same pandemic. So their purchasing power has reduced um, either because their own businesses have been affected, perhaps they have been on salary cuts. Some people, unfortunately, had been laid off, all because you know the the economy really suffered uh, during that period. And they, what we found in Kenya, for instance, is that as um, as the pandemic um, uh, hit and uh, and started, you know, reeling wave after wave, and there was so much uncertainty, and people just didn't know what was coming next. There was a lot of um, um, focus on you know let us only spend on the necessities anything else that is considered a luxury we cannot afford because we don't know how long this pandemic will go on for and i need to save my money for only what it is that are the bare necessities and that then really affected the small businesses because what somebody was to spend on um, first, the number of things, you know, was greatly reduced to only necessities. And even within those necessities, there was a lot of cutting back um, to ensure that, you know, somebody tried to stretch out whatever resources and funds they have over a longer period of time. So that is on the one side. On the other side, we do see what um, um, a friend coined as a uh, the, the COVID-assisted uh, digital transformation. I, small businesses really some of them overnight transformed into the digital space 
before that, before COVID, if you had tried to tell somebody you need to go online, you need to think of e-commerce, you need to put your things, you know, um, on an on an if sort of platform, you know, somebody would have said, uh, no, this is too complicated for me. It's too complex. I can't do this. Uh, it's too expensive. There would have been a myriad of reasons why somebody would have avoided. But all of a sudden, your customers don't want to leave their homes to come to you. So what is the alternative is you need to go to them. And, and that really was through an online space. So a lot of small businesses, uh, because of the pandemic and its restrictions, uh, very quickly uh, transitioned into the digital space. And a number of them have done that very successfully. This is one of the things that is anticipated will not uh, reverse even after the pandemic passes, you know, people are very used now to trading, buying and selling on an online platform. And even as physical spaces are opened up in whatever form, you know, some people may just decide to continue trading online because it works for them. Some may have some form of uh, physical outlet, but um, regardless of whether it becomes a hybrid or not, then the digital uh, trading and e-commerce environment, I think that is one of the things by and large that is here to stay and small businesses have really embraced that. Uh, thank you so much. Your sentiment, Abdi Fata, on the same, please. I'd like to look at it from the point of view of Peter and in the sense of it's going to be very difficult asking you to come back to the office like full time because if people have been working properly, virtually for the last 18 months, it's going to be difficult asking them to commute two hours on Mombasa Road, three hours on Mombasa Road, to come sit in an office to use the internet which they have at home. If somebody, if guys can actually work virtually, it's going to be, we just want to transition. And it's happened. I've seen people now working full time from home. And people giving up offices, office spaces because their employees are working from home. So people will have to adapt. And with that, now it comes challenges of now how do you manage employees working virtually? So that's what we're learning and we're still trying to get a grip on. Sud, uh, you can take it over. Yeah, so the next uh, question is on uh, motivation and motivation beyond um, uh, monetary rewards. So this is salary increases and, you know, the little stipends that uh, employees get. And there's only so much uh, that can be done, especially from the scope of a small business. Um, so I'd like to get uh, the view of both from Sumaya and Abdi Fatah, uh, obviously from a management point of view and from an HR point of view on how best uh, to rate people, and uh, especially in the context of small businesses and entrepreneurs, what they can do to motivate their employees. I think I'll, I'll, I'll go first. You have to, I think you have to show the employees, especially for small businesses, the growth opportunities within that organization. That will be key. And you show them where you're heading, your vision, your purpose as an organization. I've seen instances where People, when I was in recruitment, join small organizations, leave large paying, like they're being paid well somewhere, and join a small organization because they believe in that purpose, they believe in that, the person, the, organization, the small organization's mission, that's one. Also, growth opportunities of what they're going to learn, how they're going to develop themselves within that small business. That will be something if it can be articulated clearly. I believe that's a motivating factor. Yes, remuneration, compensation, all the benefits are key for somebody to survive. But once you can also show them this is how they can benefit joining a small business, I think it will be of benefit. Oh, okay. Over to you, Asmaya. Okay. Um, so 
we've done, you know, I've been involved um, over the years in a number of surveys on employee satisfaction. And um, it was always very interesting to see that the thing that drives employee satisfaction most in the surveys is not salary. And this is not limited to the surveys that I was involved in directly in the, in the organization that you know I was in, but even looking at um, you know, surveys, statistics on surveys outside, um, salary, hardly do you find a survey that says the number one reason for employee satisfaction is salary. Hardly would you find. Not that it's not important, but it doesn't come as number one. You may not even find it as number two or perhaps even number three. There are other things. So one of the things that that um, has, you know, keeps coming out um, a fair bit and small businesses, fortunately, can also do this, is really recognition and appreciation. These are two very important things that um, that really lead to employee motivation and are as easy for small businesses to do as large corporates, uh, as it is for large corporates, um, even though, you know, the mode of it will be different. So is there a difference between recognition and appreciation? Yes, there is. So recognition is really about what the employee did. It's very much focused on what has already happened. It is based on past performance. So it's, it's really about the employer looking and giving positive feedback to an employee based on that they have um, achieved or results that they have they have achieved and this is so important and there are many ways for for recognition you know it could be a, a formal process um, of recognition where you know somebody um, actually gets a promotion or you know gets an award gets a, a little plaque a certificate or it can be um, you know recognizing what this person did in front of their peers you know and somebody did abcd and you 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 recognize that uh, performance in front of their peers or you do a note you know that goes into the employee file you can do a handwritten note which makes it even much more personal and if you do it in a manner that is very timely i.e you know just at the point just you know very close after the the results were achieved and if you're very genuine about it, then it is one of those things that um, that is really very motivating for an employee because it shows that you really um, have recognized what they have done, the results they have achieved, and you have taken um, time to specifically um, let them know that you recognize what they did. And then the other one is appreciation. Uh, where appreciation is really about looking at who they are. So recognition is looking at what did they do, but you know appreciation is appreciating who they are. Um, and at the end of the day, you know um, when you appreciate somebody for something that they have done, uh, this is this is part of our of the of, of the Islamic faith, uh, uh, you know as well. Uh, you know shakartum la azidannakum. You know when uh, when you are grateful for what has been done um, for you, you know, uh, for your company, then the person that you're showing that gratitude to is inspired to do more. And this is what appreciation does, where somebody really feels they're very valued, they feel respected, they feel appreciated, and you specifically tell them what it is that you are appreciating them for, you know. So you're appreciating somebody's diligence, you're appreciating somebody 
somebody's commitment, you're appreciating somebody's passion for their work or their um, initiative. Um, and all that speaks to you noticing the extra effort that they have put in, um, which is very separate from the result that was achieved. So those are two things that are very possible for a small business to do to ensure that they recognize what the employees have done and that they appreciate them for who they are. Uh, thanks for this, uh, uh, Osmaya and uh, Abdi Fatah. Uh, one more question before we uh, uh, we wrap up and ask for your closing comments. So I think in in uh, and I think this is not uh, you know specific to Kenya, but we see it a, a lot in our organizations and in, um, in 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 our society as well in terms of how our society is structured. You know the difference between blue collar workers and white collar workers and how they're treated. And sometimes you see, uh, you, you know, in certain organizations, there is some sort of segregation uh, in, in common areas or in terms of the benefits or in terms of, uh, you know, even the food that is given. You know, uh, there's a certain f f yeah, type of uh, meals for uh, the management class and there's a certain type of meals for uh, the, uh, uh, the the commoners or for lack of a better a better word. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a very somewhat discriminatory uh, way of 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 doing things where uh, things that it's like it, it comes from from the industrial age and you know where you have your industrialists and then you have your commoners uh, you know it's it's a very feudal type of society and we're still seeing remnants of this in in our culture and in our organizations um, and you know when you start asking uh, people and especially the ones who are the lower class you know they say you know this is this is how things are and we we accept being you know the small person. Um, from an HR point of view, um, and specifically for small businesses, how important is it to have when it comes to benefits and when it comes to, obviously you have to have grades for HR reasons and, and whatnot, but when it comes to just the base benefits and what makes people human, like, you know, people eat the same type of food, they need the same type of nourishment. Yes, some might be vegetarian, some might eat only certain types of meat, and that's fine. But how important is it to have uh, a sense of equality on these uh, base needs as humans in the workplace. It's, it's a basic right everyone should have in the organization. I'm speaking from the point of, I've not worked in many places, but where I've worked, if it's the person who's opening the gate, if it's the person who's the gardener, the rider, they're all treated equally within the organizations I've worked at. In the sense of the basic stuff. So if it's meals, we all have the same meals. If say we're taking trips to this is just from my experience. If you're taking trips, say at the end of the year, everyone will be taken for the trips. From the CEO all the way down to the person that's the ski. So I think it's key and you see it's it's appreciated across the organization how people see each other the same. There's a, a level of respect for everyone. So I personally think and even from a HR point of view, it should be you treat people with respect across the organization, doesn't matter how this grade it is. Yeah, Sumaya, over to you. Um, thank you. So the um, the the grades, as you say, um, which are based on um, on experience, on um, uh, qualifications, you know, uh, skill sets, education, what have you, you know, those. Um, that that is a subject 
you know, whatever pay grades or pay scales that uh, that will have put in place that are really responding to those specific type of uh, of um, qualifications. But when it comes to benefits, and the benefits are really looking the person, the human being, um, you know, without looking at um, qualifications, then, you know, what we have done um, in a number of the organizations that I have been involved with is to standardize those. So, for example, one of the major ones for us was medical. The, you know, people, illness doesn't choose, but this one is a manager and this one is a cleaner and so the manager will get hit, you know, by a more severe case of this, and therefore they need a higher level of medical, but the cleaner can have a fracture because they, the illness will affect them only a fraction. It doesn't work like that. You know, illness is illness, and you cannot predetermine who will get affected in what way. So one of the things we have done is just to standardize that, regardless of what level, medical is medical, and everybody pretty much gets, you know, the same access, the same benefits, the same um um, the same hospitals, you know, it's it's it is the same as far as medical, for instance, is concerned. As far as um, uh, benefits of whatever may be served in the office by way of uh, hospitality offered to employees, you know, tea or what have you. Again, it is the same, um, served out of the same source by the same person. So. It's benefits, by and large, in a number of uh, those areas are pretty much um, standard. Uh, those um, they are more the, the people sort of centered type of, uh, um, you know, outlook that because this is a person, you know, they have the same human worth as, as the next person. It really isn't about pay or about titles. And, and, and those are standardized. So, you know, the, this has been um, my experience. Uh, of course, there are organizations that do it completely differently, as you say. And, um, you know, it, they may have their reasons for that, but it doesn't lend itself to, to uh, you know, the, the environment that that engenders um, in many times is not very positive. It does leave a certain, you know, a sense of discrimination. Um, it does leave a certain, you know, us versus their of approach. It may not really be what one wants uh, to create uh, in terms of, um, you know, a, a thriving team um, and a fully functional and, and a high performing team. Um, so, yes, this has been my experience. We have, by and large, been standardizing benefits. Okay, I see Tim, you finally uh, managed to uh, get on and uh, fight the bugs. Uh, yeah, you can ask your question uh, very quickly. So thank you so much for, for having me. And uh, this is this is really a fantastic uh, session. I, I, I'm not really sure it's a, it's a question per se. I, I think that uh, uh, having been an entrepreneur for the last 10 years, um, certainly there is, there, is, there is more than 100% case for making sure that you know we treat our people in the best way possible at least to begin with as human beings because they deserve and as and as uh, partners for our growth our joint growth uh, that growth will most of our opportunities actually all our opportunities will be opportunities that will come from our people um what i worry about a lot uh, sud and, and the rest of the team um abdi and and, uh, and i i believe um uh, Sumaya is that uh, I now worry a lot about the the the, the legal the over legalization 
of human resource as a component. Um, whether it's from, you know, uh, simple things like Walkman's, uh, Walk, Weber, uh, whether it's from the way generally uh, the Employment Act gives employers inflexibility, uh, so much so that now many, many, many employers w- will think once, twice, three times, even before hiring people. Um, you know, the complicated structure around the Employment Act um, and, and more generally just the sophistication that is increasingly happening in Kenya um that that that, that I, I i i now worry that it might actually come to act not just human resources uh, but ultimately productivity uh for small businesses especially um where where we really actually do need a bulk of of of, of, of human resources and so i i don't know what your views are I think Asmai will be best placed uh, to answer that because she's both an employer and uh, has a legal background. Yeah, I think you should. Um, Tim, I agree with you. They, we have seen a challenge with respect to um, over-legalization of many things that does make it very challenging for a lot of companies to just keep up. Uh, I recall a conversation recently with a business leader from a different sector um, which is a regulated sector. And the comment from this leader was that there is so much regulation right now and compliance that, um, you know, it has become a full-time job just to ensure you're complying with all these things that are flying out, you know, left, right, and center. And theirs is a very large, you know, multinational organization, and they feel overwhelmed with all the compliance that they have to, com- you know, ensure that they are, they, are, they are complying with. Now, for a small organization that doesn't have those resources, whether human resources or financial resources, to have a battery of experts outside helping them with the compliance, it really is a very daunting task. And... Um, and uh, I, somebody who, a friend who opened a factory recently, um, you know, having gone through the rigmarole of trying to find out all the licensing and this and that that um, they were supposed to comply with, were very shocked one day for some public official to turn up and tell them there's an additional 46 licenses that they needed, you know, to operate their, their factory. And, you know, they were really shocked. This is a stop you know, 46 in addition to all these others that I already have. And the question was, where does one go to even find a comprehensive list of all these different regulations and licenses that I, in my sector, uh, need to apply with? And as a startup, what I'm looking for is support to help me get my feet on the, off the ground, bearing in mind I will be creating employment, and when I make a profit, I will be contributing to taxes. But with all this over-regulation, you know, you feel like you're, you're dead in the water even before you start. And perhaps part of it is because, unfortunately, there have been a lot of... Uh, fraud, there have been a lot of unethical practices um, that have been evidenced in in different segments of the market and in different markets, both here and abroad. And the response to those breaches of values uh, by many governments has been, okay, let us therefore regulate. And therefore you find, you know, one regulation leading to another. And unfortunately, and again, back to what we were discussing earlier about the impact of ethics on the larger society, you find a few bad apples, then affect everybody else because of their actions, then you have all these new regulations that that then affecting everybody, including those who have been compliant. So really, it is a challenge. Uh, 
one of the things that could be useful is again um, by way of investment at the initial setup of a business is to consult perhaps a lawyer, um, a business lawyer who can advise one on the prevailing uh, legislations at a particular time or regulations that one has to comply with. And as you set off, you really, you know, seek to tick off against that checklist, you know, to keep yourself as compliant as possible. And then periodically, uh, perhaps once a year, once every two years, you know, get the, the lawyer to come in and just check have those laws been updated? Are there new ones that have been introduced? Is there anything else that you need to be aware of? And uh, and then you ensure that you're keeping yourself compliant by almost having like a legal audit, maybe every two years um, to ensure that you're really keeping abreast of the compliance issues. Now, that may sound like a very costly and expensive thing for a small business, but uh, the regulators learn on a company and accuse one of having breached A, B, C, or D, their penalties are normally much, much, much heftier than what one would have paid the lawyer to do a legal audit and ensure you're keeping up to date with your compliance. I would say it's an investment that is worth making. Otherwise, instead of running your business, you will spend all your time to go through the different pieces of legislation to see what else has come up and what you need to do about that. It may also be worth having a lawyer coming in on a periodic basis. You may not be able to afford to hire one full-time initially, but even if it is on an outsourced basis where the lawyer comes in maybe once a month, once a two months, once a quarter, to just go through the main things that affect your business and just to ensure you are, uh, you know, on your own point as far as compliance is concerned. It's normally much cheaper to comply than to deal with the, the effects of non-compliance. And finally, what I would say is, uh, even as one complies with the laws, if one can deliberately entrench a culture of ethics and values within the organization, then you don't have to worry so much about breaching of the laws because your values should enable you to be compliant because that is just how you do your things. And so by inbuilding and embedding that within the company uh, processes and, and procedures, then it does make compliance a much easier issue because it's just how you do your business. It is not anything foreign that you do once a year for the, for the regulators, but you do a day-to-day -day basis and eventually it will be very natural to how you operate. Uh, thanks for that. And I think for the people who joined late, uh, we're just about to end, but this uh, session would be published as a podcast uh, uh, towards the end of the week. So just keep a lookout for that on the Horizon TV Kenya uh, Twitter handle. Uh, so without further ado, uh, Abdi, I'll call on you to give your closing comments and we'll just go through the panel before we wrap up the session. Thanks, Sul. So for me, just we have, we'll have to change and adapt, especially with the way things are moving with the last 18 months, especially in the HR fraternity, we have to change and adapt and look at it more. Of, yes, this day, like has just been mentioned, the element of we need to check up on, but also we need to look at the people we are, that are working for us as human beings and not cost centers. Thank you. Right. Uh, Tim? So, um, so, I mean, I agree with um, Wakili and, um, and, and, of course, Abdi. Um, I think really, truly, 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 entrepreneurs that care about building anything, uh, brand or wealth or 
or anything. I think that it's it's in, in their self-interest to take care of people. Um, what I think that we should at least do more broadly is to start doing also activism for just a much more responsive way that government can um, respond to small businesses. I think we really need to, to have unified voice on how government can support small businesses. Um, we are now just talking about human resources. But in our industry, you're talking about city council, you're talking about NEMA, you're talking about WARMA, you're talking about KPA, you're talking about uh, all sorts of, so many varied types of licenses. Um, you know, today we just saw Judge, just, uh, judge Korir for the first time at least make, make the message that uh, KRA should not kill businesses. What they should do is find ways to support them. I think what we really need to do also, as we do what we do in our own civic responsibilities and as, and as entrepreneurs and professionals, is to start slowly by slowly agitating, at least more broadly, for a more responsive, uh, SME-responsive uh, government environment. All right, thank you, Tim. Uh, Samaya, closing comment? Yes, thank you, Sud. Um, for the employer, I would say it is important to remember that um, the different employees that one has or may have um, are not all the same. And um, having a one-size-all solution may not work. So what the baby boomers value and treasure if you do have baby boomers in your organization is very different from what the generation x's will value uh, than what the you know the millennials will value and that is so important because if one doesn't understand that then you may be doing something with the best of intentions but it is, it is not achieving the desired outcome because the target audience or target market um, just don't appreciate that. So, for example, the baby boomers are all about loyalty. Many of them will have been with the same organization from when they graduated to when they retire. And it really matters to them to have, you know, the, the that sense of stability and certificates of long service and, uh, you know, the appreciation and recognition for that length of service and what have you. And now for your millennials, uh, their door is always revolving. They are not about long service and certificates of longevity and what have you. They are looking at other things. They are looking at, you know, greater impact and, uh, you know, how they can be part of the a, a much bigger deal and a much bigger, you know, picture. And, and, and they want to be involved. And, and so if you're not responding to those um, differences in, in outlooks and interests, then you may find, you know, you keep having disgruntled employees despite your best efforts and that's just because perhaps you're not really being very sensitive to what the different groups want and this goes for gender as well because the, the different genders you know do work differently and for you to really bring out the best in your employees it is important to understand the dynamics and finally um, the message to the employees themselves because a lot of the conversation um, around uh, including a lot of what we've been discussing today is really on the rights. The employee has this right, has that right, employers should do this, should that. But remember, uh, um, it's, you need both arms, both hands working together to deliver the desired outcome. You really can't do this, uh, you know, single-handed where it is all about the responsibilities of the employer and the rights of the employee. The em employee has responsibilities as well and they need to be very clear about this that the employer also has rights when the employee has responsibilities that they must fulfill if this is not made very clear then the expectations are not managed properly at the beginning then they have a sense of entitlement 
which then leads to all sorts of frictions which can be avoided if rights and responsibilities of both sides are very clearly set out from the beginning and each party does its best to comply. That then results in a win-win type of engagement where both the organization grows and the individual employees also grow. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, uh, everyone. Thank you, our panelists. Uh, thank you, uh, our guests, our audience, uh, for listening in. I think this has been a very insightful conversation. And without further ado, I'll hand over back to Mohammed Shakombo to close the session for us. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Brother Sud, for the deliberation and to our panel for having this uh, fruitful discussion as we put a close to today's uh, topic in, in regards to the HR and people's management. Thank you so much to the greater team behind SMTM, which uh, also brought this uh, Twitter space that we're having. Uh, SMTM is Show Me the Market. That's a program that we usually have at Horizon TV. I'm the producer behind it. And uh, as my sister Sumaya Hussein is the presenter. Uh, this show usually airs every Tuesday, 7.30, and we have a repeat on Sunday at 4.30. And please don't forget to also subscribe on our email list that is pinned on our tweets so that you can be able to uh, read more and uh, also engage, learn from different aspects of uh, entrepreneurship and business. And thank you so much to the greater team behind uh, Bonganasi Special, that is Brother Sood, Brother AJ Sadiq, uh, Brother Abdul Hakim, Adam, and uh, the larger uh, Horizon TV team that ensures we are having this fruitful discussion. Santeni uh, Sana for all your good sentiment. I hope uh, the audience has learned a word or two and we'll be able to implement what our sister Sumaya has said, a win-win situation for both uh, the employers and the employees. Santeni Sana, uh, from this other side of South Coast, Liani, I say adios. My name is Mohamed Shakombo. Maasalam. Horizon TV lo nzuri na yasifika Niongozo ya dini atufunza vema Kuipenda atubidi wazina sema Emu la tuhifadhi daima Emu la tuhifadhi daima dawama Maneno ya Allah ndani twapata hadithi na sunna pia zatajwa tujifunza mengi tena kwa sana Horizon TV Maneno ya Allah ndani twapata hadithi na sunna pia zatajwa tujifunza mengi tena kwa sana Horizon TV